0: Welcome to the Art of Medicine, the program that explores the arts, business, and clinical aspects of the practice of medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Wilner. But before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, locumstory.com. If you're considering locum tenants, either full-time or on the side, you probably have a question or two, or 20. Fortunately, locumstory.com has the answers you need. It's packed with unbiased information and advice from physicians. LocumStory.com has nothing to sell. It's simply an information resource. You'll find super handy tools that let you see locum's trends for your specialty, compare different locum's agencies, and there's even a quiz to help you decide if locum's is right for you. LocumStory.com is the perfect place to start if you want to learn more about locum's and now i'd like to welcome our guest jaron dana welcome jaron
1: thank you thanks for having me dr wilner uh happy to be here
0: so jaron i see there's a big sign behind you that says nalto and you are the president elect of nalto so tell me about nalto
1: yeah we will do uh you know like a uh you know Nalto is—it's an industry association. Um, it was established in 2001 by staffing agencies like the one that I co-founded. I'm not—not not o- I don't only serve on the board of of Nalto and serve as the president-elect. I'm also the co-founder and CFO of a staffing agency based in uh, near Salt Lake City called Fusion Healthcare Staffing. Um, but with my role uh, within Nalto. Um, You know, we, we, we look to create and enforce strong industry standards and practices for the local tenants industry. Um, We, we like to stress things like honesty, objectivity, integrity, and and competency across our member firms, Um, you know, and our goal is to set clear and effective parameters of behavior um, for all individuals that are affected by the industry, like physicians and, and clients. Um, and the patients that, uh, that they serve, which is the ultimate end goal, of course. Um, interestingly enough, NALTO is the only professional, professional association uh, of temporary physician staffing firms or locum tenens, uh, as everybody calls it, um, that is committed to a code of, uh, of ethics and maintaining highest industry standards. So that's, that's what NALTO is. It's obviously an, acro- an acronym it stands for the National Association of Locum Tenants Organizations.
0: Now, now I did my first locums uh, assignment in 1981. That, that preceded uh, NALTO. But if I wanted to be a member of NALTO, is that, is that open to me or is it only for organizations?
1: It, it's only for uh, organizations um, to be a, a member in full standing, full membership. Um, for for agencies that that staff locum tenants, and there are certain requirements in our bylaws to help, you know, define what a locum tenants organization is. However, we at NALTO are blessed to have support from a lot of affiliate members. So, if you are not a locum tenants organization, you can become an affiliate member, uh, or you can become a vendor member, and that's usually a uh, an organization that uh, takes a sponsorship role at our conferences, um, you know, they would be organizations that provide ancillary services to locum tenants organizations like, uh, you know, medical malpractice or mm-hmm. rental cars for travel purposes. We have a lot of vendor members that deal with travel related items. So you could become a vendor member if you wanted to choose if you wanted to do so.
0: OK, so uh, when I put together my book, The Locum Life, I made a list of locum tenants uh, staffing agencies. You mentioned that you were the co-founder of, uh, is it Fusion? Fusion something? Fusion Healthcare Staffing. Fusion Healthcare Staffing. And well, it turned out to a long, to be a long list. I, I think I hit about a uh, hundred of those or so. How many are members of NALTO, approximately?
1: Today, we have 83 members and four affiliate members. Um, and so we, the majority of your list was probably NALTO members. Um, and and that, that seems to be growing by the day we get a lot of uh, new companies that, you know, one of the first items of business for them is to. Uh, submit an application to become a NALTO member so uh, we're proud that as new companies come into the industry they're joining NALTO um, because we'd like to have them join and we'll discuss today a variety of reasons why that's important for for them to
0: be members with us. Okay so why is it important for them to be members with you?
1: Well, I would say it's really twofold. So the first perspective I'll give you is for um, an agency. The second perspective I'll give you is for a client, right? Because a client has the ability to choose from a lot of agencies. Like a
0: hospital or a clinic who's looking for a physician or nurse practitioner or someone to do locum tenens to fill the spot temporarily, right? That's the client.
1: Exactly. That's the client. Uh, you know, and the client is either the is either the doctor, in some respects, it's the doctor, in other respects, it's the healthcare organization. So I'll talk about it through their perspective after I I get through the perspective of an agency. Um, I mean, obviously as an agency, we we spend a lot of time collaborating and creating and enforcing strong industry standards and practices that we would expect to see in the locum tenants industry amongst ourselves, right? As peers we become accountable to each other uh, under these uh, standards that we create together. Um, the second is we, we collaborate on industry-specific information that's related to federal, state legislative issues, credentialing standards, uh, medical malpractice, uh, risk management, uh, public relations, education, marketing. We have, we have committees that sort of look at all of these facets of, of information. And then as we collaborate on it, we provide that as a resource. So we give access to our members to certain white papers, uh, best practices, things that a new member, if they're joining uh, as, as Alto members, they can get access to this information and they can avoid a lot of the pitfalls that the other 83 members uh, may have already made. Um, over a period of time so there's a tremendous amount of value add from that perspective Um, but we also pool our resources and i'll give you a a big example on that something we're working on right now that's very important Um, we have pooled our resources and hired a third party uh lobby firm called mcguire woods and we have been working with them for about a year now um we first started on a defensive effort because there was some legislative introduced uh, or some, some legislation, excuse me, that was introduced called the PRO Act. And we did not like some of the language in the Pro Act that could have had a bearing on how locum tenants operate as 1099 independent contractors. Mm-hmm. And so we were lobbying sort of, you had a lot of phone conversations with senators and other representatives discussing that issue. Um, And that was a defensive effort. In the last six months, it became a proactive effort. And we're now, uh, we've had uh, legislation that was introduced by Buddy Carter. Uh, In short, it's, it's called the Physician Minimization Shortage Act. Um, and it basically is codifying physicians as uh, 1099 independent contractors. And so the resources that we've pooled to go tackle that effort is, is tremendous. And the 83 members that are, are part of that have, have participated in that. Uh, they help, they jump on calls with uh, House members and senators to discuss that bill. And so that's a heavy effort that we're doing Right now, and we're engaging our membership to do that. So the pooling of resources, and, and lastly, uh, from the, they get access to um, extensive networking opportunities with their peers at conferences. And you know, some people might think, well, why do I want to collaborate with my competitors? It, it's a it's a highly collaborative industry that we operate in, and that that should be good news to the physicians. And it should be good news to, to the healthcare organizations because if we ever run into a dispute, if I know my competitor, I can pick up the phone and I can call them and we can work it out because at the end of the day, the patient is what matters, right? And that is that is written throughout our code of ethics to leave the doctors clients and patients out of the disputes. And so if I know my competitors through networking and we become friends, it's easy to work through issues. It really is and and that happens all the time. In the event it can't be resolved over the phone like that, we do have a non-binding arbitration committee that can that can take on cases. Um and and that's 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 certainly a value add we have as well. So that's that's the agency perspective. Okay. If I'm a a physician or a healthcare system, right. And I'm trying to choose who to work with. Obviously our recommendation is to use a NALTO member firm. And that's precisely for the reason of the ethics and the standards that we've set forth, that we hold ourselves accountable to. And if we ever make a mistake on that, any physician and any healthcare organization can submit an ethic complaint to NalTO, and we have a committee that will review it for for merit and then work with the agency to resolve that. Um, and sometimes you know it's just a matter of resolving a small issue and it can be fixed very quickly, which is the majority of the complaints, and sometimes it could lead to disciplinary type actions, and you know membership can be revoked. so if I'm a healthcare organization, I would read NALTO's code of ethics, and I would feel good knowing that. Okay, well, if you're a NALTO member firm, you've at least committed to do that. Now, if the agency doesn't do that, obviously we've got a problem. But uh, by and large, our members um, have signed up for that code of ethics and agree to operate that way. And that's exactly what a physician and a healthcare organization should expect from a NALTO member firm.
0: Right. So that's certainly their intent, and uh... Um, I concur with that recommendation. When I, when I made recommendations in my book, particularly for physicians starting out with locum tenens, it's like, well, there's a lot of firms you could pick from. Might as well narrow the list a little bit and uh, choose from an Alto uh, firm. Now, when I, when I made that list, I think the number was closer to 60 than 80 plus. So tell me what's going on in the locum tenens world. Uh, You know, I back in the day, I'm on a plane and people say, where are you going? I'm going to Minnesota. I'm going to work locum tenens there. Usually I get kind of a blank stare and I have to explain, you know, what locum tenens is. But I I think, uh, well, my my sense is that this is growing. Is that correct?
1: It is. Um, You know, we are seeing many providers starting to do locums for the first time, right? You've got uh, an aging physician population that is seeing this as a tremendous opportunity to sort of enter retirement, uh, you know, to become, you know, to take on less work, but have the flexibility to stay sharp and practice. So we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of new residents use it as a, an opportunity to, uh, you know, explore a variety of different practice environments and locations before they settle in, um, and you know we're seeing healthcare systems, uh, you know gain a lot more confidence with with those physicians that are doing the locums. Their commitment to to the lifestyle, right? Rather, you know, there's not as many people that are just dabbling in it, right? Um, you know, these assignments are are are, are ongoing for you know, very long terms. And, and that's because that the fit or the match of that assignment is good, right? Obviously that's why the, the physician keeps going back and the healthcare system uh, keeps having them. And as long as those staffing gaps keep coming up, which they always will, because they come up for a variety of reasons, right? There's always shortages here, and then there's some there. and And that's really our role is to sort of to to navigate that to find those placements so that the healthcare can be uh, delivered to the patients in need at the at the time that they need it. Um, and so you are seeing it growing. Uh, demand for physicians is sky high. Uh, job orders uh, across our member firms are, are probably as high as they as they've ever been for locum opportunities. And so we think that's a good thing for physicians that are looking to explore that as a as a career path or as something to do on the side.
0: Now for a physician who is uh, considering locums, you mentioned 1099. Uh, explain, so I'm a physician. I haven't worked locums before. I got a regular job, not that happy with it. I want to go do locums. So what changes in my life if I become a 1099 employee versus a salary w-2 why is that important
1: well a good question for me i'm a cpa as well so uh, you know the pers- it's going to be a slight change in how you manage your your financial affairs around the assignment obviously as a w-2 employee you know the tax the taxes are withheld on your paycheck and so when it comes time to file your tax return Social Security and Medicare that's already been taken care of, and your withholdings for uh, federal taxes and state income taxes have been withheld, you just have to file a tax return and reconcile out that amount. Um, A lot of physicians get very nervous going into this, but it it really becomes an an opportunity to sort of maximize and become even more tax efficient. When you are paid as an independent contractor, right, uh, from an agency like ours, there's no Uh, federal or payroll income tax withholding. Um, If you're a non-resident of certain states like California or Pennsylvania, there will still be some state tax withholding. So those are outliers, but for the most part, no taxes are withheld. So you need to get with your CPA and figure out the best strategy and best structure to put in place for that to, to sort of maximize your tax efficiencies. But it's not something to be afraid of. There's certainly opportunities uh, and a lot of tax arbitrages that are completely legal to, to minimize your exposure on that front. Um, but you know, sometimes we get a lot of physicians that work it. And then at the end of the they'll work as a locum, they'll get paid 1099. And then they'll call me up and be like, Oh man, I just, I got so surprised and hit with taxes and they feel like locums is a bad thing because of that. But I'm here to tell you if it's done right in consultation with, uh, you know, with your CPA, um, it, it's not uh, it's not a difficult thing to understand. And it, it, you can put in place a structure that you're very comfortable with. But it is different from from perhaps what you've been doing in your career if you've only been a W-2 employee.
0: Right. So just to be clear, when you work... And a 1099 as a locum tenants physician, the company, the staffing does not hold back the amount that you would have to pay in taxes. But you will have to pay the taxes at the end of the year when you file your tax return. But they won't be any bigger or smaller in general than they would have been if you'd been a salaried employee. Uh, With the exception of some, you know, tax strategies that you could use that might improve the situation. But it's not like you're going to be taxed anymore.
1: No, other than when you're a W-2 employee, half of Social Security and Medicare is paid by your employer. The other half is paid Mm. by you, the employee. When you don't have an employer because you're independent contracted, you're paying both sides of that. So there is a little bit, there is, there is, you know, about 7% more tax that you'll pay as an independent contractor. However, that can be drastically mitigated uh, through tax strategy. That's why I say, you know, so because that's going to be 7% higher, we would, we would recommend you talk with your CPA. Uh, There's a very common structure that a lot of physicians use. They usually will go set up uh, an S-corp. Well, they'll set up an, a legal entity in whatever state they live, but then they will uh, check the box, is what we call it, check the box with the IRS to become an S-corp. And so you'll hear a lot of doctors, sometimes they'll get around the coolers and they'll start talking about this S-corp or this corporation thing. And that's the reason they're doing that is to help mitigate the exposure to that extra Seven uh, percent of self-employment tax. So it's it's a little, we're getting a little into the weeds, but it's it's very common for physicians to incorporate, is what they'll say, right? But they're really in okay.
0: escort. Yeah. Well, I'll I'll endorse that, and uh, I I highly recommend finding a CPA like yourself Absolutely. who is phys- who is comfortable with locum tenants because with locums you might file several state tax returns work in Minnesota a few months, work in Arizona a few months like I did. And uh, if anyone wants to contact me, I have some great referrals of people that I can, that I have used that have made my life much easier. Because if you're a doctor, you might not be an expert on taxes. If you are, that's Absolutely. great. But if you're not, you know, get some help. So. So lastly, why is, loc- given that you might actually have to pay more taxes, why is locum tenens attractive to physicians, do you think? Well, I think
1: the answer to that, it could be in a variety of ways. I think flexibility is probably the number one thing that they're seeking, right, when they, you know, when they when they look to do this. And, you know, there as I talked about retirees, right? The decision might be different for where they're at in their career, right? If you're a retiree, it could be that, well, I want to get out of the practice that I've been in. I want to lower the amount of time I'm working. I want to travel a little bit more, but I want to stay sharp and I want to keep making money. That might be the reason for a retiree. A new resident could be, like I said, we're looking for new practice environments, perhaps because they're young and energetic, they're picking up a lot of shifts because they're paying off student loans and they're trying to make more money and they don't have, you know, perhaps a spouse or children yet. So that might be a motivation, certainly for, for a new resident. Um, if you take someone in the middle of their career, it could be, you know, picking up some extra shifts locally. Um, it could be that they're, uh, motivated to help a rural community that they're passionate about or that they're from, um, and so the, the reasons go on and on. But boy, I tell you, the top one that we see is typically flexibility um, you know, compensation can also be uh, pretty high on the list at times. You know, if they're traveling to a, a, a high demand area, you could expect if it's in high demand, it probably pays a little higher. Um, and so compensation's up there as well. Um, and, you know travel, we see pretty high too. Sometimes people just like to, you know, get out and travel. So.
0: That's great. Well, Jaron is, this has been really a nice discussion about one of my favorite topics, uh, locum tenants, anything you'd like to add before we uh, sign off?
1: No, no, I would just, you know, I would put in the plug for all agencies, right. You know, one of the, one of the more common questions that can be asked of a recruiter uh, is, you know, what are you guys doing? Like, like how, how, you know, how, why are you guys making any money on this thing? You know, and it's, you know, sometimes our recruiters can get caught off guard with that, you know, but at the end of the day, we, there is a tremendous amount of effort in sourcing an opportunity and finding a provider to, to fill that opportunity. And at the end of the day, we're making a match to deliver healthcare to a patient. That is a tremendous value add in of itself. On top of that, we come in as an agency and we are providing uh, professional uh, liability insurance for that assignment. And that is in our world today is not cheap. It is very expensive and it's a hardening market. It's difficult for agencies to get policies. And uh, there's very few carriers that are are currently in our space and that's not a good thing. Um, and so we're working at NALTA to sort of you know, hedge that a little bit, but that value that we bring, on um, when the doctor goes and works, you know, we pay the doctor, but the hours that that doctor worked—that's an exposure that stays not only with them, right, uh, but also with us. That exposure carries on into the future. Every time we go to renew our policy, they look at the hours that have been worked, and so that—that—that's a benefit for the providers because they don't have to go get it. We already got it. It's a benefit to the healthcare systems because they don't have to worry about putting that provider on perhaps their policies. Um, and so obviously, that's why we go through credentialing and hospital privileging and all those things. But there's a lot of value to be added there. And just want to make sure that that's not forgotten, right? Um, by, you know, uh, you know, both parties as to as to kind of what we're doing. And then on top of that, there's just a tremendous amount of administrative work. From credentialing to assignment coordination, yeah. to traveling to scheduling. And, and, and really, a good recruiter for a physician is going to become their advocate. They're going to become their advocate, and they're going to become, you know, you know, really their concierge to their career. And when that relationship is developed with a, with a provider and a recruiter, um, it becomes a very easy career path to make for a physician. you know, someone who's doing it for the first time, is always very nervous. They're nervous about: Am I going to get paid? Am I going to have ongoing assignments? You know what? You know where am I going to have to travel? Am I going to like where I'm going? And a recruiter can really help cover uh, all of those concerns from the outset, and then being a, and then be an ongoing resource uh, for future shifts. So that's my plug for agencies in general, and as we've touched on quite a bit today. We would uh, recommend that a physician and a healthcare system only use a NALTA member firm.
0: Jaron, this has been great. I want to thank you for joining me on the art of medicine. Thank you. Before we close, I'd like to give another thanks to our sponsor, locumstory.com, a resource where providers can get unbiased answers to all their questions about locum tenants. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Wilner. Thanks for joining us. This program is hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Wilner, MD, FACP, FAAN. Guests receive no financial compensation for their appearance on The Art of Medicine. Andrew Wilner, MD, is Associate Professor of Neurology at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center, Memphis, Tennessee. Views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on this program belong solely to Dr. Wilner and his guests and not necessarily to their employers, organizations, or other group or individual. While this program intends to be informative, it is meant for entertainment purposes only. The Art of Medicine does not offer professional financial, legal, or medical advice. Dr. Wilner and his guests assume no responsibility or liability for any damages, financial or otherwise, that arise in connection with consuming this program's content. Thanks for watching. For more episodes of The Art of Medicine, please subscribe. www.andrewwilner.com